how can I use technology to optimize my operations that I can not just reduce costs, but just make everything a better experience for my customers, my employees, everyone engaged. It's less about, you know, should I do something on edge or should I just move it to public? It's much more nuanced thinking. Let's think about the business imperatives, the business perspective. What's the business value? And then let's see if this, this makes a ton of sense. Welcome to Light Data Action, the podcast that's on a mission to help you discover new technology trends and tools and better understand how they affect the world around us. Light Data Action is sponsored and produced by Lumen Technologies, the platform for amazing things. I'm your host, Terry Barbonis, and in each episode, I'll speak with industry executives and thought leaders to discuss how these technologies change the way we do business, how they influence the fourth industrial revolution, and how you can stay ahead of the innovation. If you're ready, let's join the conversation. Welcome, everybody. As companies continue to embrace cloud computing, the ability to realize the full extent of the benefits promised by cloud adoption still eludes many companies. The cost of migrations has often been the biggest and most costly hurdle in moving to cloud. And according to some industry analysis that McKinsey and company have done, there's an estimated $100 billion of wasted migration costs anticipated over the next three years. And that was an analysis that was done a few years ago. Now, here we are in 2022, and we have to ask, have cloud migrations gotten easier, less complex, less costly, and have we gained more value from cloud adoption? With companies looking to spend $8 for every $10 of their IT hosting budget on some form of cloud by 2024, whether it's public cloud, private cloud, software as a service, infrastructure as a service, and so forth, there's $1 trillion in business value waiting to be unlocked. So is cloud first just an aspirational battle cry into the void? Or are we actually making headway in maximizing the value of adopting and moving to cloud computing? My guest today is an expert in understanding the dynamics and challenges of cloud migrations, and I'm excited to speak with her today. Bargs Srivatsan is a partner with McKinsey and Company, where she co-leads the cloud operations and optimization practice, working closely with technology companies to plan the optimization of their cloud operations, including things like infrastructure, demand forecasting, and understanding unit economics from a cloud perspective. In addition to her client work, Bargs also leads the firm's internal initiative, Women Who Cloud, a global group of women colleagues passionate about serving clients on cloud-related topics. Bargs, welcome to the show. Great to have you here. Thanks, Terry. Super excited to speak about a multitude of topics that I'm very passionate about. Cloud, cloud first, cloud smart, and then obviously there's this emerging area called edge. And like you mentioned, the one thing I'm doing as part of the firm initiative as well on Women Who Cloud, which I absolutely love and honored to do this for the firm. So to get started, as, as I mentioned um, in my opening, there's $100 billion of, of wasted migration costs and uh, organizations are still looking to spend a considerable amount of their IT hosting budget in moving to cloud. Uh, there's a trillion dollars worth of untapped value. 
both of these stats, I believe, come from research that you yourself have done. So my question is, why are companies still underestimating the costs and complexity of migrating to the cloud, even though they're obviously spending a majority of their budget, the upside is tremendous, and yet we, we still can't seem to get it right. So we as a firm do a lot of research on the adoption of public cloud. And what we saw in 2018 was that enterprises said they're going to be spending about 45% of their IT spend solely on public cloud. Fast forward to 2021, the 45% aspiration that the enterprises set for themselves, and you compare it to the actuals that we saw in 2021 as to what they're spending as part of their IT spend on public cloud, it was 65. So 45% was the forecast for 2021. And when we looked at where enterprises were in 2021, compared to the forecast they made for themselves in 2018, it was 65%, almost 20 point delta. I think the pandemic created a sense of urgency around digital transformation. And that's obviously vastly enabled by public cloud. Let me give you a couple of examples of companies that really accelerated or really benefited from being on public cloud. The first one is uh, a quick services restaurant. Right before the pandemic hit, they moved their digital ordering workload to public cloud. And once the pandemic hit, the volume of orders, daily orders they were getting, digital orders, went up from 50,000 a day to 400,000. The only way their infrastructure could have handled it is because they were on public cloud. Their legacy infrastructure could not have just scaled or been even stable to handle this kind of demand. The other example is a luxury apparel, uh, sports apparel retailer, who decided to put their e-commerce workload on public cloud and they were able to expand to a massive number of geographies very, very quickly without having to install infrastructure in each of those geographies by themselves and were able to overtake their competitors that way. So it was a competitive edge for them. So there is obviously massive unlock from a value perspective that you just called out from public cloud itself, right? We estimated bottom up, building use cases, use cases that you know unlock just value from an innovation perspective, who are the pioneers who won't even unlock new kinds of use cases and business models on cloud. And we estimated that a, a value of about 1 trillion is what lies in public cloud. Now, to going to the second part of your question on, okay, it's all sounding really rosy, so why is it not working, right? So there are a few things that have kind of contributed to the lack of success, if you will, for many companies around public cloud, right? They're still scratching the surface on what's the value possible from cloud. And I keep saying public cloud because it's a bit more nuanced, right? When we estimate eight out of $10 are going to cloud, we did include both private as well as public cloud. Most people are moving away from on-premise infrastructure. I don't think that will come as a surprise to anyone. But there are sectors like banking where we see a little bit more skewing towards private cloud. And then there are obviously multiple other sectors who are, you know, rigorously and accelerating their journey towards public cloud itself. Now, going back to the topic of wastage that we just talked about, cloud migrations are getting complex by the day. Two, three years ago, when we were doing our research, it's even, you know, you go back to 2018, companies were still thinking about, okay, what workloads do I move to public cloud? What speed should I do? Which one should I start with? Are there hero workloads that I can get on public cloud to just prove my business case, business value, and then port over the rest. Today, the problem has become even more complex, right? The public cloud providers are coming up with new savings plans, new configurations, new regions on a daily basis. And there's also edge in the picture. So what is the right configuration in my set of, con in, in your entire config configuration spectrum, if you will, for a specific workload? Should it sit near premise? Should it sit on a regional cloud? Should it sit on a hyperscaler that's much further away from where the company itself is. So it's becoming a much more nuanced question. 
around how do we think about where exactly in the cloud spectrum and now the edge spectrum should the workload sit. Now to take a step back on this specific aspect of cloud versus edge, right? Many people like, you know, you and I have discussed about this in the past too, start with this cloud first approach, or let me always go to the cloud and then I will figure out if that's the right fit for me. I think that mindset and approach has kind of shifted a little bit. People are becoming cloud savvy. They know when and where cloud will play the best role for their uh, workloads, which workloads are best suited there and which workloads probably really need to sit within or closer to their premises. That's where edge comes in and edge kind of completes and complements cloud. The waste stage is coming from not taking a very nuanced approach. The waste stage is coming from doing a lift and shift approach of just picking your workloads, just moving them to public cloud without really thinking through how do I make best use of the cloud architectures? How do I make you know best use of the microservices, the API infrastructure that's there offered by the public cloud providers? The wastage is also coming from the fact that many enterprises often overestimate what they think they are going to move to public cloud. They're very hopeful that they will get to a certain point, but then due to various complexities, they don't really hit their target. And they've already made some commitments to the public cloud providers, which they really need to maintain. So they've overcommitted and are overspending as well. Let me unwind something, Barg, that you said earlier, because I'm curious. You you mentioned a couple of um, you know industries, use cases, uh, including banking. Are there companies and in specific industries that are better at this for one reason or the other? Is banking versus retail versus healthcare better at adopting cloud and working through the complexities and the costs, or is everyone sort of in the same boat? It's just a matter of of scale or or use case. What we are seeing is initially when enterprises, and I'm talking about enterprises across different verticals, right, different industries, and I'm, I'm using the term enterprise loosely. It's like mid-market companies, large enterprises. We surveyed all of them across the board. Sure. So what we saw was while most of them feel very comfortable where they are today in terms of their IT or horizontal workloads, if you will, right? This could be email, other productivity software, collaboration software, very horizontal focus. There's nothing very specific to the industry typically. They are very comfortable pivoting and moving those workloads to public cloud. Where we see the big rocket stick effect is going to come in terms of cloud consumption over the next few years, by let's say 2024 or 2025, is the movement of vertical specific workloads to public cloud. So if you take retail for an exa- as an example, as I mentioned, e-commerce will be a big workload that's going to be completely hosted on public cloud. That makes a ton of sense because given the seasonality of many of these um, e-commerce workloads, it just makes sense to host them on public cloud. There are also workloads in banking, which is enterprise risk management, that's also moving to public cloud. And if you if you think about this, these are all very vertical specific workloads. So a lot of the industries, while they're very comfortable with moving their pub, you know their horizontal workloads to public cloud, they're also getting very comfortable with moving their vertical specific workloads. We are going to see the maximum uptick, if you will, in terms of where they are and where they are comfortable moving the the vertical specific workloads. We are going to see that uptick in healthcare. We are starting to see that a, a lot already. Thanks to COVID, there's digital patient monitoring, remote health diagnosis, all of that happening already via public cloud and some amount of edge as well, if we want to touch on that. We are also seeing big jumps in manufacturing, where manufacturing used to be very comfortable putting all their servers very close to where they are for obvious reasons, right? Because they're using it for production control decision making. They are usually in some areas where the network connectivity is not very good. But even manufacturing is getting very, very comfortable when moving some of their mission-critical, vertical-specific workloads out of their premises and to both public cloud as well as edge. So there is no one specific industry that's doing this well, but there are obviously certain characteristics that we see of what we call as high adopters or winners in cloud. 
for the sake of the audience, can you uh, briefly define the difference between cloud vertical applications versus horizontal applications? So if we talk about horizontal applications, these are, these are applications that will require minimum customization for the specific business itself, right? Or specific vertical itself. So email, for example, you and I kind of are in different industries, but we kind of use email very similarly, I would think. We collaborate on the exact same video conference call. So collaboration software, email, to some extent, even CRM, if you don't really customize it, could be horizontal workloads. Right. So another example would be customer relationship management software CRMs in retail would be a horizontal application from that perspective, right? Correct. That's right. I've heard you say that companies spend a lot of time thinking about the technical transformation of cloud adoption. I think you call it operational technical transformation and not entirely enough time on the operational model transformation that's also required to be successful. Can you speak to that a little bit? Because when, when I heard you say that, I thought about that for a second. And, you know, you're right. I think one of the things that the term cloud first gave us is it gave us permission to think about the cloud first and foremost, uh, above and beyond maybe on-prem, but it also became almost an all-in proposition. Where now it became cool almost to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick as many of these workloads as I can in public cloud only to realize down the road that maybe that wasn't the smartest idea because if I didn't make other changes like, to your point, looking at my operational model, how that's trans, uh, uh, that needs to be transformed, I may not be as successful. How do, you, how do you look at that? How do you speak to that? You're spot on, Terry, because many companies, what they do is they think about, okay, where should the workload belong? And if they are, they are good about doing public cloud really well, they even think about re-architecting the, re-architecting the workloads for optimal performance on public cloud and so on. Where they really miss the point, and this is one of the most common failure modes that we see is, right, they don't really think through, how do I transform my operating model? How do I train my developers to go from thinking that releasing once a year is the only possibility to potentially releasing every month? How do I think about unlocking the operating model in such a way that the infrastructure is front and center to the developer and they can spin instances on their own without having to go through IT, right? And how do I train my cloud architects, like the architects who weren't really exposed to cloud before, how do I bring that skill set in? How do I make sure that there's much more cross-functional collaboration between IT and infrastructure ops and the different product units? So it becomes much more cohesive, right? To like work in public cloud. So this operating model transformation is where we see a lot of cloud migrations failing. The other example I will give is, how do we think about how much do you want to centralize versus decentralize? That's an operating model choice you need to make as a company. One gaming company that um, we are aware of They started by doing a lot of decentralization. They said, hey, we're moving to public cloud, each of the different gaming units, you can go spin up your own instances. You have complete control over your cloud budget. Guess what happened? There was not a lot of transparency and visibility in exactly how the gaming, uh, different gaming units were consuming public cloud and they had a ballooning spend problem very, very quickly. So that amount of decentralization simply didn't work for them, right? And I'll give you another example, right? This is a travel company, an online based, uh, web-based travel company that does cloud really, really well. They are spending about multi-hundred millions of dollars on public cloud. And they even show their developers what's the cloud cost of their specific code check-in. When you check in code, you see, okay, this is the infrastructure cost. And here are some ideas on what changes I can make to actually make this even cheaper, right? And some of those incentives for uh, the developers are, hey, you're, you're helping us save costs, really not the most 
glamour is incentive for a developer if they're working on something really cool and innovative they really want the performance they really want you know things to like go quickly and the customer to adopt but what that also tells the developer is hey if i can cut down some of the costs on public cloud and have the same performance maybe i can reinvest this in some other areas right maybe it's a gift back to my business unit to reinvest in other growth areas so bringing that mindset shift that operating model shift that culture shift on how to operate on public cloud is one of the key reasons why some of some cloud migrations are super successful you know we talk about cloud broadly uh, you mentioned earlier not just public cloud private cloud you know we talk about software as a service platform as a service and so forth is there difficulty in organizations thinking about how to operate in sort of a multi venue we talk about multi cloud for example but not just multiple public cloud platforms is it, is it more difficult to add complexity in their calculus in trying to look at their you know digital infrastructure state their workloads and so forth and thinking well this should run in public cloud this should be on premise because of some unique requirement this i could probably run in edge does that really complicate the the not just the economics but in terms of how you think through the operational model transformation because now you're not just dealing with i'm going to move to an aws or an azure and so forth now you're dealing with all of the venues and trying to make it cohesive like i said it's no longer just cloud first that, that seemed like a nice venue or destination to run to few years ago but that's not yeah. that's not the that's not really quote unquote cool right now so if you take a specific workload let's just take an example and walk through what that looks like right and why certain parts of it should sit in edge or on premise or private cloud versus why some of it should sit in public cloud if you take a workload that's actually making production control decisions there's video inspection looking at you know semi completed parts and then video inspection also looking at the end product and making decisions on hey should i stop this production line should i pivot it should i remove this default like this faulty part from the production line and so on all that can happen and has to happen very close to the premise because these are decisions that need to be done with like 5 millisecond or even lesser amount of latency so right. low latency workloads where connectivity is not really guaranteed or reliable and you want them to you know you want to kind of use some of the the power of cloud very close to your premise to make these decisions those don't really belong on public cloud for the same workload obviously the inference really needs to happen close to the premise on premise edge whatever you want to call it a lot of the learning algorithms can happen on public cloud it's very computer intensive it's going to chuck through a lot of data so a lot of the systems that are sitting close to the premises can transmit back data based on whatever is happening on the ground and what the uh, results of some of those inference inference algorithms are and all the data that's coming out of the day to day action can be fed back to public cloud do the data intensive compute intensive learning algorithms that can happen so learning on public cloud inference on the edge is something we we absolutely see a lot of and this is where you can already tell how the enterprises have become much more mature or how they are having a very nuanced approach to public cloud itself now with this comes a ton of complexity right you can obviously start appreciating already the technical complexities of how okay what's the amount of compute and storage do i really need to maintain on premise what's the amount of storage and compute that i need to you know think about for cloud how is how is this data transmission going to work should it be daily should it be weekly if there is a connectivity issue like how do we grapple with this so all of those challenges from a technical perspective are there but if you also start thinking about the operational complexities which you are alluding to this is much more complex than just operating on public cloud or just on on premise right you need someone who understands this entire infrastructure spectrum 
who can think and make decisions across the board. Some of the sourcing decisions, for example, on public cloud, it's not very episodic, right? You need to like continuously keep track of how much you're consuming against your commitments. There are new savings plans, new configurations, new regions being announced almost on a you know continuous basis by the cloud providers. So how do you stay in touch with all of that to make sure that you're doing the best you can on public cloud and consuming public cloud, the latest and greatest services, but also maintaining your spend at a very reasonable level. When it comes to edge and closer to premises, your procurement or you know your sourcing decisions can be slightly more episodic. I'm not going to like swap out some of the infrastructure that I'm buying closer to premises on a monthly basis, right? I, those, those don't get updated, let's say, even for like two to three years. How do I also think about integrating what I already have and making use of my brownfield deployments? All of those different things come into consideration. So the mindset is obviously that there, it's, it's a li- much less episodic, continuous engagement with the CSPs, continuous optimization. How can I innovate fast? Like that's, that's the cloud mindset. Now the edge mindset is slightly different. It's about delivering the, the specific insights at the right time and the right place and less worried about the, I would say most of the time, the cost is not the biggest concern at that point, right? In fact, the business case on closer to premises or edge would take much longer than what you will see on public cloud itself. So to coming back to your question, much more nuanced approach to public cloud. That's what we are starting to see. With right. that comes complications both on both on the technical side as well as massive operational uh, implications. Let me take us back to, uh, we've said it a couple of times, cloud first, right? And I think whether it's the public sector or private sector, especially over the last few years, uh, certainly since the pandemic, when I've spoken to customers, I hear almost every one of them talk about cloud first, cloud first, that if they weren't cloud first, they are now very much cloud first because of what they went through. At the same time, I've seen this term cloud smart, which is not a new term. I mean, I've seen it going back to 2017, 2018. I think it actually came out of the federal government in terms of their own practices. And to me, the way that I see cloud first versus cloud smart is cloud first was, again, this permission. Everybody, we need to go into cloud. We need to use cloud. And we saw what kind of the results of that were depending on the enterprise, we certainly, I certainly have had customers ask me how to move back out of cloud. Mm-hmm. And we have this term repatriation because yep. they're spending, you know, I've seen studies talk about $3 in cloud for every $1 they're spending on premise. To me, cloud smart is sort of a, a reset. It's us going back and saying, yeah, cloud first was a, was a great idea to prioritize cloud now we have to go back and look at how we're approaching this. We need to be smart about it. We need to be more pragmatic. Is the trending of the term cloud smart an indication that cloud first, maybe we're actually still not so good at it? Or is it just a natural progression of us identifying the value and benefits we would get from moving from traditional on-prem into cloud resources? And now we just have to figure out how to do something, how to approach it in a pragmatic way that solves for some of the challenges we continue to have. How do you look at cloud first versus cloud smart? I think cloud smart is the right way to go, Terry. I think you would agree as well, right? Initially, cloud first was what everybody was anchoring on to like generate that momentum around public cloud, create this organizational cohesiveness, and then bring that mindset and culture of public cloud, right? Right, right now, I think we are past that. We are now at a point where, there's, where we are actually as a firm, we have a service line called FinOps, Cloud Financial Management. All we do there is look at how much our enterprise clients are spending on public cloud and help them think through, is that the right way to like think about public cloud? How do you optimize your spend? 
And I, I'm not saying cutting spend. I'm saying optimize spend very carefully because as your revenue grows up, you want your spend to grow. It will grow, right? But how do you kind of control and maintain and keep it at the right level? That's something we do a lot of. So our clients are getting very, very cloud smart. They're also starting to think about something called workload disposition, which we do a lot of, by the way. We take the list of big workloads that they have. Let's start with that. And then think through what is the right venue, like you just said, right? What's the right infrastructure venue for that specific workload? Does it really need to sit on public cloud? What are the pros and cons of it? Now, are there workloads that we should completely retire that we no longer need because there are SaaS solutions out there that can completely replace this and they are good enough to kind of do what we really need them to do? And are there workloads that really need to sit near premises for various reasons, right? It could be low latency. It could be because of the cost of transferring data back and forth between public cloud, which can very quickly become prohibitive. And it could also be because of data residency and privacy regulations that mandate you keep some of your customer data closer to your premises. It could also be because of security concerns, because obviously decentralized environments kind of do slightly better than centralized environments when it comes to security. And I say this with, with caution because we all, we all also feel that public cloud is a lot more secure than some of these decentralized environments. But at the same time, it's, it's a very vertical by vertical enterprise by enterprise choice to figure out how, how you want to balance the centralization versus decentralization. So this, this move towards cloud smart is happening very quickly. It's driven, it was actually driven by this cloud first approach, right? Where everybody just made a rush. And then we see many of our clients like just spending hundreds and millions of dollars and they have no idea why that's happening. So then they're stepping back and thinking, saying, hey, do all these workloads, first of all, am I doing the right thing on public cloud? Am I making use of public cloud economics? The, all the, the, the innovation that's coming in public cloud to make sure my workloads are architected right. And then next, is this really where that workload should be running? Is there a better venue for that workload to be running in a much more cost-effective manner? Yeah, and I, and I think the other I think the other thing that's driving this, uh, companies are realizing the be- the huge benefits, quite honestly, of cloud smart versus what we accomplished with cloud first is when you look at an application like the video camera as a universal sensor, for example, you look at traffic management, right? Where you have, uh, you're sitting at a, a light on first and main, and there's a traffic camera that's looking at traffic flow. It's identifying how many trucks go through that intersection versus cars and so forth. And you're using, you know, AI or, or uh, machine learning on that. Well, that AI engine may benefits from the heavy compute elasticity of public cloud. But then when you create the runtime that the video feed is going to interact with, you want to have that as close to the feed as possible. You may push that down into an edge location and have the cameras interact with that to be able to get insights out of it. And then if you have to update the engine itself, you go back up to public cloud and you do that. Whereas if you try to have the video cameras go directly to public cloud, you start running into latency issues and other things. So I think it's the realization that, hey, wait a minute, if everything is on the table, if all those venues are on the table and I can look at not only my workload, but what I want my outcome to be, there's a huge benefit in being able to bring together multiple venues rather than just focusing on the one we focused on for a long time, right? That's right. And I think 5G is bringing more possibilities to this infrastructure spectrum. So we are starting to see operator edge, right? Public mech, private mech becoming a possibility. Lumen, yourself, you already offer some of your central offices as many edge data centers with edge compute, edge storage, and so on. So we are also seeing some of the hyperscalers doing a much more distributed approach to public cloud and saying smaller edge locations, right? You have wavelength uh, zones from Amazon, edge zones from Azure. So we are seeing seeing this proliferation of 
infrastructure deployment points, if you will, across the spectrum for exactly the reason that you're saying. Because everything needs to be on the table to make right. sure you're able to deliver some of these wonderful, delightful experiences to your customers or drive the process at the right time with the right insights without having to kind of compromise on either performance or from a cost perspective. In the same conversations that I mentioned that I heard cloud first, cloud first over the last year and a half. And so the, the other thing that's that uh, was paired with it is cloud economics. We talked about cloud economics for years, but the number of times that I've heard it come up, not just come up in terms of cloud economics, we need to we need to make better use of it, but organizations that are building cloud economics teams internal to look at multiple venues. Now, I know a lot of that was precipitated by the fact that, you know, pandemic pushed everyone to accelerate their plans to moving into cloud. That's certainly one reason. Um, but I'm curious, are there are there other reasons other than what we mentioned earlier? Everybody jumped in public cloud and a lot of companies said, uh-oh, I'm spending more money than I expected. Where are my savings? Are there other reasons other than the obvious push of a pandemic that now all of a sudden cloud economics is, you know, it's a it's a major course within organizations to become really good at it? You're, you're absolutely right. Cloud economics, as we call it, FinOps or cloud financial management, like I said, we have an entire service line. We just stood it up last uh, in the last two, two and a half years. It's becoming super relevant. Some of the reasons that you said are the obvious reasons, right? The problem of cloud economics would have occurred sooner than later. The pandemic accelerated it because people were blindly starting to move workloads without, because they didn't have the luxury of time to think through a lot of the architectural decisions, test and try it on public cloud, tweak, and then, you know, put the full workload. All of that was gone. And the problem got accelerated a bit, if you will. I'll give you one example where we've helped on cloud economics quite a bit, right? I'll give you actually two examples, one on, public cloud only focus, and then one on a hybrid setup focus. The public cloud focus is for a major streaming player. They had over $100 million in cloud spend. That's not what they expected to see. So when they saw that bill kind of going uphill, they were thinking, okay, there's something wrong that we're doing. We went back and looked at how they're doing the demand forecasting and how they're measuring their unit cost. So the demand forecasting, what we helped them do was think through what's your revenue growth? How many users is that going to come from? For a user, what's the exact footprint that you really need from an architecture perspective, like resource perspective? So if you pair that down, what exactly will be your committed spend? Let's say a major customer watches a lot of video during Thanksgiving. So that's when we really need the burst capacity. But on the, you know, on other occasions and during the other months, it's just going to be very flat for Terry. Can we kind of parse through and see what archetypes of customers do we have? And based on the consumption model for some of these customers and our forecasting for the next three years, can we predict how much of this capacity can we commit to in public cloud versus where do we really need the on-demand capacity? The moment you start making one-year and three-year commitments, the cost of public cloud drops dramatically. So I think that's one of the big reasons why I think companies are starting to focus a lot on cloud economics, because if you start spending more time and doing a bit of analysis on your historical consumption patterns and start projecting out what you really need, and what, where you really need the optionality to go up and down from a demand perspective and where you can make commitments, the right. economics really pays off. And then you obviously have spot instances where these are instances that will come and go. I mean, there are no guarantees, but you really don't need to do, let's say, for example, some HR analytics that I really need to run in the background to produce a report in two weeks. I know that's coming in two weeks. I can use spot instances to kind of run this in the background. So again, spot instances are probably discounted at 80% or more if I'm not wrong. So if you think there's a lot of nuanced thinking across the infrastructure spectrum, 
and the best venue to execute. There is also a lot of nuances that come within the public cloud arena as well, right? So which regions do I really need to go to? Is latency a big consideration for this workload? Is it much cheaper to run in Northern Virginia than in Sao Paulo from Brazil? So is that something I can compromise and push some of my workloads there? So that, those are some of the nuances that we are seeing and hence the focus on cloud economics. There's also a problem that with a little bit of analytics, a lot of thought and pulling in this cross-functional uh, alignment across sourcing. Obviously, they are a big stakeholder. We talked to a lot of chief sourcing officers about public cloud spend. CFOs, they're very worried about this ballooning spend and how it kind of translates into their cost of um, the cost of revenue. So we talked to a lot of these stakeholders and obviously product and engineering play a massive part in controlling this cloud spend itself because like I said, one online travel company, right? They were able to kind of cut down by just telling the developers, hey, this is what the cost of your check-in looks like from a cloud perspective. Are you sure you want to check this in or do you want to take a step back and do a bit of optimization before you, you know, check in this code? So there, there's a very cross-functional discipline that's emerging. It's called cloud financial management, FinOps, cloud economics, like you're calling it. People are standing up teams dedicated to doing this. And given how fast the environment around us changes from a public cloud perspective, this cannot be an episodic engagement that you just do once and then you kind of repeat this after two years, right? This is never one and done. This is going to be an ongoing optimization exercise that you need to do. And that's another reason why we see these teams just being stood up and kind of even ramped up as cloud spend ramps up. And coming back to this cloud unit economics piece that you just said, every company now has started thinking about unit economics, right? So right. for example, if you take a fintech company, what's my dollar cloud infrastructure costs dollar per transaction? Can I, where, where, can I bend the cost curve a little bit by doing more with the same amount of resources on public cloud? Let's talk about edge for a little bit. And here's the way I want to look at it. Uh, there was an article I, I saw recently where the question the article was looking to answer was, will edge eat the cloud? Now, to me, we talked about it a little bit. It's context, right? Because without context, it's just a provocative statement. Um, I think whether it's public cloud or private cloud, it's dependent on your workload requirements. Do you need the heavy compute elasticity that you get at a public cloud? Um, are, you a, are you a manufacturer, for example, that's doing some things on the factory floor that for one reason or the other, you still want to run on the factory floor? Or is some aspect of that process or some part of the workload really better suited to run on edge because the reality of it is today we have we still have obviously lots of use cases where you can only do in a public cloud but the use cases that you can only do in edge with its distributed nature low latency and so forth you can only do in an edge environment what's your what's your view on that i think we are super aligned there terry i think edge completes and complements public cloud right Right. So as enterprises are becoming much more knowledgeable about the, the spectrum of options that they have on the table, like you mentioned, what's, this, what's the optimal venue for a workload to run on and so on, it's becoming obvious to us that Edge is not eating cloud. This is, I, I don't believe that. Edge is going to become as big as public cloud, that's for sure, right? And there's also a very loose definition of Edge, right? Like where do you draw the line on how you define Edge? Is it close to the action, the IoT workloads that we are typically used to talking about? Or is it the operator edge that's also coming in? Are we also talking about some of the regional data centers? So it also depends on where you want to draw the line on edge. But if you think about, if you remove all these boundaries, it's literally a spectrum of options that you have on where you deploy your workload, whether it's close to the action edge, operator edge, regional data centers, hyperscale data centers, public cloud. Like I, I mean, the last two obviously are part of public cloud as well. It's literally, that's how I think companies are starting to think about. 
So this edge eating public cloud, I don't think we, we buy. Um, and I would also say you said it very well, right? The focus of many of the CIOs, CTOs, any of the CXOs who are engaged in technology decision-making today is, how do I use technology to drive innovation faster for my company? How do I use technology to deliver the best customer experience that I can for my customers? How can I use technology to optimize my operations that I can not just reduce costs, but just make everything a better experience for my customers, my employees, everyone engaged. It's less about, you know, should I do something on edge or should I just move it to public? It's much more nuanced thinking. Let's think about the business imperatives, the business perspective. What's the business value? And then let's see if this, this makes a ton of sense. So the elephant in the room, whenever we talk about cloud or edge or anything else is security. When you look at security and compliance and the complexity that it adds, especially not just when you're going to move from on-prem into public cloud, when we start looking at multiple venues, how much does that, how much is that in the calculus of whether enterprises miss something or are hesitant because they're not sure how to maintain security? Because one of the things I've said often, especially with edge, is if you're gonna if you're gonna move to edge in particular. Or if you just look at the distributed nature of our workforce, just you and I having a conversation, being able to do it on any device anywhere in the world, um, we've moved away from sort of physicality-centric security to human-based security. And as I've said to people, if you're gonna if you're gonna move to edge or any of those type of venues, and you're still using a security posture and an approach from 2010, you're probably gonna fail. Yeah. Uh, what what impact of security and compliance do you see? in all of this, the complexity and or the challenges? When it comes to security, we are seeing questions like, if I'm deploying edge devices, will my supplier be responsible for providing updates and managing the configuration and monitoring those devices? Or is this something that I'm responsible for? Where did this division of labor stand? And your question actually reminds me of something we did, I think four or five years ago, where we talked about the shared responsibility between the cloud service provider and the enterprise, right? Where do you kind of draw the line and say, here's where the cloud service provider kind of comes in and takes off from a security perspective. And here is where my responsibility line is drawn. It's very blurry. It also depends on how mature the enterprise is and how they're thinking about it and so on. So the, an to the answer to your question is edge is still very nascent. This is one of the big things that many people are grappling with, but this is not stopping them. They just need to think about how to solve this. But security is not the reason for why they think about not deploying workloads on edge. It's a very complicated problem to solve, which they are very aware of and they want to solve. Yeah, and I, the the security compliance question, we have those conversations um, all the time. I mean, we've always had those conversations, but it's interesting to see how, again, I called it the elephant in the room because we're never going to get away from it. Um, and if you don't focus on it, then you've got you're going to have bigger challenges. So look into your crystal ball. How, because I think some of the stuff that we talk about is a little pessimistic. Where's where's the optimism? Where do you see our ability to be able to take advantage of that trillion dollars worth of untapped potential, whether it's the traditional cloud, the public cloud, private cloud, or now the edge? Is there optimism on the horizon in us starting, and by us, I mean, you know, all enterprise, all companies, starting to get it right, to be able to get real value uh, while reducing that, you know, $100 billion uh, waste in terms of the migration? I think there's a ton of optimism, right? I gave you a lot of examples of companies that have really gotten it right, whether it's one of the biggest beverage manufacturers in the U.S. who's kind of managed to get their CEO fully involved in their cloud migration. That's a great example. 
the quick service restaurant that was able to quickly scale up their digital ordering was a good example. So once the pivot comes from just focusing on public cloud for reducing infrastructure costs, changing the ownership model to actual business value unlock, we are starting to see that mindset shift already. So one of the first questions are clients. I serve a lot of the technology providers um, and I have done this exercise with them many times where they want to build a business case to so show the, the path to ROI. They are engaging with their end customers on conversations around technology, landscape technology deployments and so on. They start asking us questions about where is the path to the ROI? You're talking about a 5x, 10x ROI. Many times before, we just used to like blindly jump in and start doing some of these technology deployments. Now our customers really want to know. They are willing to take the risk, but they really want to see the path to value and the ROI unlock happening. They understand it's a three-year, five-year horizon, but they want to look at that, right? So the mindset is very much in, in the space that, hey, let's look at where the business unlock is and what will it take to get there? And it's very interesting because a lot of my technology provider clients are also starting to think about how can I be instrumental in driving the culture, the mindset and the operational operating model shift that also needs to happen when I put my technology in. It's not just I, I install and I go away. I want to drive adoption. I want to make sure that my end customer is actually getting business value out of it. So that mindset shift among both enterprises as well as tech providers is rampant. It's obviously now still happening, right? So you will start seeing a lot of optimism around this trillion dollar unlock in the next two to three years. That's my hope. Well, you and I are on the same page. Uh, I'm an optimist uh, by nature, and um, I speak with enough customers and, and deal with some of this technology to know that we're going to make some breakthroughs. I appreciate the dialogue today, Bargs. I think we could probably have gone on for another couple of hours. Uh, I look forward to your ongoing research have you love to have you come back on a future episode to talk about where we are today on some of this, because obviously it's going to continue to be a mainstay in, in business. So thank you very much again for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you, Terry. This was a wonderful conversation. Thank you. Thanks for joining another episode of Light Data Action. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite shows. You can also follow us on Twitter at Light Data Action and for more Lumen news at Lumen Tech Co. As always, we'd love to get your feedback and suggestions for future topics you'd like to hear on the show. And I hope you'll join us next time for another conversation.